0: Brutal gang strikes again and again,
1: targeting residents in terrifying home invasions. They attack quickly, take what they want, and leave no evidence behind. As the assaults continue, the FBI and local police join forces to stop the terror. In the end, authorities come face to face with a vicious gang that refuses to be taken alive. In the 1990s, neighborhoods in Detroit were terrorized by a gang of robbers. Impersonating police officers, they invaded over 100 homes,
0: robbing, raping, and torturing their victims. I'm Jim Kallstrom, former head of the FBI's New York office. The extraordinary number and sheer magnitude of these home invasions stunned authorities. As residents feared for their lives, agents teamed up with local police to take down this sadistic gang.
1: Detroit, Michigan, February 1994. In some neighborhoods, narcotics trafficking is a way of life, and drug busts by the local police are routine. This raid is anything but routine. The man asked the resident where he keeps his drugs. And money. He refuses to talk. Confident, the police officers would never hurt him.
2: a police, can't shoot me.
1: that officers broke into his home, assaulted him, then stole money and jewelry. The patrolmen know the resident is a local narcotics dealer. They also know there were no drug raids scheduled for that address. Could these home invaders be rogue cops? The incident is part of a wave of excessively violent home invasions plaguing Detroit.
3: Wanna, give it up! I don't want to
1: hurt you, old woman! Averaging more than one a week, they spread fear throughout the city. The invaders leave no useful evidence behind. In June 1994, the newly formed Safe Streets Violent Crimes Task Force dedicates itself to putting an end to the terror. It is comprised of Detroit police detectives and FBI agents, including Special Agent Michael Kosanovich.
0: We really were determined to solve these violent home invasions. Initially, we were aware of, of approximately 50 home invasion robberies from the beginning of 94 up through June of 94. They were fairly violent. They involved shootings, sexual assaults,
1: Investigators begin by searching for connections between the numerous invasions. Detroit police officer Tom Dunai.
4: We took a look at all the police reports that were taken over the previous two or three months. Uh, We analyzed them, we broke them down into the M.O.s and exactly what these perpetrators were doing on each one. Investigators identify a recurring method used in the attacks,
1: according to Special Agent Bob Pertuso. The gang used a
5: dynamic approach that law enforcement officers use when they execute a search warrant or make an arrest to gain quick entry into a home and then take control of the occupants. They all wore uh, masks, and they were all armed with semi-automatic pistols, assault rifles, MAC-10s.
1: Based on this consistent M.O., the task force suspects that a single group is committing most
4: of the invasions. We are able to narrow this down to, yes, it was a gang of about uh, anywhere from four to eight. Uh, The descriptions all fit the same. Uh, Their M.O. was the same. Everything was the same on almost every home invasion. To gather more first-hand information...
1: Investigators re-interview the victims of the home invasions.
0: You had some excitement here the other day.
1: They learn that most of them are involved in narcotics trafficking. I don't know. FBI Special Agent Michael Kosanovich is not surprised the dealers are
0: reluctant to talk. They don't want to reveal the fact that they were selling drugs or conducting illegal activity out of that residence. Detective
1: Sergeant Tom Barry tells the dealers that the task force has no interest in busting them for narcotics.
6: People are getting raped. They're violent. We don't care about the drugs. We need your cooperation. About 90% of the time, uh, the drug guy come on board. He come on our team and say, hey, I deal my drugs. I know that's not right. Um, I'll tell you what I know about this case. He a gun at me and I'm like, he's a cop, you know.
1: Investigators discover that some home invasion victims are not drug dealers.
6: These sometimes elderly people—they're—they're panicking, they're crying, they're begging. Got guns to the side of their head. Where's the dope? Where's the money? Where's the dope? Where's the money? There isn't any money. There isn't any dope.
1: The gang has simply hit the wrong house. Realizing that there are no drugs or money, they turn violent.
5: Did they ask you? We heard all the horrible stories of the torture. 80-year-old women, pistol-whipped, hit with the butts of shotguns.
1: FBI Special Agent Martin Vander Vliet. What really bothered us the most
3: were the sexual assaults of the uh, females who were present on six of the home invasions. Uh, one in particular, a, a mother and her 15-year-old daughter were raped simultaneously
4: by two members of the home invasion group. Just the look in their eyes, the fear, their anger that was very controlled, but yet was all inside their body. You could just feel it with their body
2: emotions.
4: (laughs) The little girl without saying it, just through her eyes, she said, please help us. Please help us. And that hit me. And that look in that girl's eyes will stay with me for the rest of my life. We told her that we would do anything in our power to bring these guys to justice. What I had to do is build their confidence up, leave phone calls every day to let them know that I'm still thinking about them, we didn't forget about anything, and we're on your side and you're well protected and you have nothing to worry about. The fright that was in them will always be there, but they knew they had the full cooperation of the violent crime task force on their side. Skinny.
1: Concerned that the home invasions are executed like a police raid, the task force confronts the possibility the gang is made up of law enforcement
6: personnel. We checked to see any recent officers that have been fired from the job, uh, maybe were accused of uh, illegal use of narcotics, because this was all revolved around narcotics. You know? So you, you would check you know, any ex-narcotic officers and there was nothing.
1: Investigators quickly recognize that the escalating
4: level of violence in these cases indicates that law enforcement is probably not involved. In our experience, police officers aren't going to go that extra step and, and, and fire shots into a house or go rape a victim, uh, things of that nature. It's usually go in and rob, grab, go in and knock the door down, get their uh, whatever they need, and run out. Uh, so it'd be, in the beginning, it. We had to look at that, but then we had to eliminate that as the, as the, uh, more and more as the home invasions were occurring, uh, it got more and more violent. We realized that it wasn't police officers or ex-police officers. The biggest problem with these
3: subjects acting as police when they committed these home invasions was that they jeopardized legitimate police officers. If a victim has been robbed before by this gang, And then the police show up another time to execute a search warrant, legitimately, they may start shooting or try to harm
1: the police officers. Now that investigators have a clearer idea of what they are dealing with, they begin their efforts to identify the members of the gang. We looked at a number of people who had committed these
3: offenses in the past, um, or robbery-type offenses of narcotics dealers, we contacted various informants and asked them to try and determine the identities of these individuals, however, none of the informants that we had talked to had any specific information regarding the people who were committing these
2: offences.
1: Over the next month, the home invasions continue, but the task force makes little progress.
6: Every home invasion in the city of Detroit, where people went in posing as officers, we, the Violent Crime Task Force, would respond to it. So we got first hand information, try to get a feel. Are these our guys? Are these not our guys? Why are they or why aren't they not?
1: Investigators carefully process each scene, but can
6: find no evidence. Everything we did, we, we weren't getting lucky. We needed a break.
1: July 26th, 1994 Nearly two months after the investigation began Detroit police respond to a call about shots fired They find a barely conscious man with multiple gunshot wounds He has a gun, police jacket, bulletproof vest and a ski mask clothing matches descriptions of home invaders given by prior victims. Police call for an ambulance. Officers alert the task force. This could be the break they need.
6: Here's a guy. He's got a gun on him. He's got a police vest on him. And my only hope at the time was, please don't die. Please don't die.
1: Agents rush to the hospital, hoping the man pulls through. In Detroit, a joint FBI and police task force tackles an epidemic of violent home invasions perpetrated by an elusive gang who uses police-style tactics. Authorities get a break when they find and arrest a critically wounded man they believe is part of the ring. FBI agents go to the hospital to question the suspect. Fingerprint identification reveals that his name is Dante Garrison. FBI Special Agent Martin Vandervliet. He was in pretty bad shape at the time, having been shot three times
3: in the arm, the leg and stomach. He said he was aware of some robberies which had occurred that evening. But he didn't want to go into
1: specifics at that time. Special Agent Michael Kosanovich remains hopeful.
0: So we're really trying we were to encouraged out. by the situation, uh, by our analysis of his emotional status, um, and the fact that, that we felt he's, he's probably at some point going to cooperate if we can work this right, if we can talk to him and reason with him. All
1: right, guys. At Detroit Police Headquarters... Okay. The task force discusses strategies for persuading Garrison to cooperate. When the suspect's name comes up, Detroit officer Al Page recognizes it. He says he knows his family, and it even once held Garrison when he was a baby. To Detective Sergeant Tom Barry, this is an extraordinary stroke of luck.
6: Now, what are the odds of that? So not only did he get shot and didn't die, we got one of our officers that knows him. This couldn't be any
2: better.
1: Investigators return to the hospital, and Officer Page exploits his relationship with the suspect's family, hoping to cajole Garrison into cooperating. The ploy works. Garrison agrees to talk in exchange for immunity from prosecution. He admits that he is, in fact, a member of the home invasion gang and explains that his shooting was the result of an invasion that went terribly
3: wrong. One of the occupants of the residence had seen them, said something, and they had fled. They believed that they could come back and successfully commit the home invasion the next night. However, the occupants of that residence were ready and waiting for them.
1: for himself special agent Bob Pertuso
5: and that was the difference between these criminals and law enforcement a law enforcement officer would not leave a fellow officer shot in some backyard
1: knowing Garrison is in poor physical shape the task force keeps the interview short they need to keep him healthy
0: he was eventually moved out of the hospital and allowed to recuperate at home. Once he became capable of of moving around without any assistance, uh, it was decided that that we should take him to an off-site location to have him uh, uh, fully debriefed.
1: The FBI secretly moves Garrison to a safe house outside of Detroit. Investigators inform him of the potential consequences of cooperating with the task force,
4: according to Detroit police officer Tom Dunai. We let him know that there is a real risk of him losing his life if these guys ever found out that he's talking with authorities about what has occurred. And he wanted protection to make sure nothing would happen to him, and uh, naturally we gave that protection to him and let him know his name wouldn't be brought up until the day of court. The way it worked was... During intensive interviews,
1: Garrison reveals that the gang has several more members than previously suspected. As it turned out,
3: it wasn't the same group of individuals who were committing these home invasions every time. It might be from three to ten members. And it really depended on who was available when the call went out, who could respond to commit that home invasion that evening. If they were available, they would go. And if if they needed money, they would go. If they didn't need money, maybe they might stay home that night.
1: Garrison divulges that two career criminals control the gang. Obi Carter and Andre Woods.
0: Obi and Andre Woods directed and determined which targets would be hit and which individuals would go on specific home invasions. Once a residence was targeted for a home invasion, Obi Carter would page all the gang members that were going to be involved that night. A few of the members would go out and conduct some surveillance on that location. They would try and identify residents, how many ages. They would return back to the gang, debrief everyone, and then meet again later that night to actually conduct the home invasion.
1: Garrison reveals that Andre Woods actually stages mock-up raids for training purposes. Out. We'll out. We'll out. We'll out. Andre Woods had taken the gang members to vacant houses to practice police-style
3: raids. Go in so that they would be familiar with techniques as far as how to make entry into the residence. They would enter, just as
1: the police would enter, to... Secure it. Once the residents are neutralized, the gang interrogates the victims. According to Garrison, Woods is extremely violent. He rapes some of his victims and tortures drug dealers when they won't talk. A lot of times,
3: if the victims would not tell them where the money or the drugs were, they would physically beat them or shoot
1: them until they were willing to provide that information. Garrison describes one home invasion in which the gang tortured an elderly drug dealer.
6: They put the guns to him. Where's the dope? Where's the money? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. They shot him in the leg. He's in agonizing pain, and they're just hammering him again. They didn't want to kill him. They wanted him to tell them where the drugs and the money was shot him again in the leg and said, hey, I'm Effer. where's the drugs? We know you got the drug. We know it's here. Where's it at? Give us, give us, or you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. And they shot him again. They told him what was at. Got their money, got their drugs, and they're on
0: their way. Once a home invasion was complete, they would return to the predetermined location. The money would be divided evenly among the members. Any valuables that someone was able to pick up, it was theirs to keep gang member
1: and drug dealer, Chris Allen, would handle the stolen narcotics.
0: It was Chris Allen's responsibility to take those drugs out on the street, sell them, get the money for those drugs, and divide it evenly among the members.
1: It is also Allen who would suggest who to target for their home invasions. Allen provided...
3: A lot of intelligence to the gang members as far as who would be good people to rob. Based on his knowledge of their narcotics dealing, he knew that they either would have drugs or money
1: present
0: when the gang went in.
1: Agents are impressed by Garrison's detailed recollection of past crimes.
0: We knew that this was the jewel. He was the break that we needed to make a significant impact on on all these home invasion robberies.
1: Although Garrison's cooperation is critical to the investigation, it is unlikely that his testimony would stand up in court. It would just be his word against theirs, and that would not be sufficient
3: to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that these individuals were guilty of these crimes. We needed admissions from these people, or we needed to catch them in the act of committing a home invasion to be
1: certain that they would be locked up. Authorities must hit the streets and find a way to take down this violent gang. Detroit Police and the FBI work to shut down a dangerous home invasion gang. They get a major break when a gang member is found shot and begins cooperating with the investigation. I know. They live in, nah, man, these, Nah, they wasn't like my boy. A joint family. FBI police task force begins using the informant's information to identify more gang members, according to Special Agent Martin Vanderfleet. A lot of them had criminal
3: histories that matched up with what was occurring. We felt they were likely involved in this based on that. And we went out and did physical surveillance of their residences
1: and could see that they were associating with other members of the group Although investigators have received detailed information about the gang's infrastructure from their cooperating witness, the task force needs more evidence to build their case. Authorities show photo lineups of the suspects to the gang's victims, hoping they can identify their attackers. Take your time. Detective Sergeant Tom Berry.
6: The bad thing that we ran into is the victims could not identify them. They were in masks. Everything went by in a flash. They put them down on the floor. Um, they could not identify them. Set. The
1: inability of witnesses to pick out their attackers hurts the case. time. Special Agent Michael
0: No. We don't have enough information to conduct search warrants to make any arrests. All we have is one individual who's providing information. What we're now looking for is is additional Fresh information to allow us to go further in the investigation. The task force asks a
1: federal judge for permission to use wiretaps. If they can prove that there is an ongoing pattern of felonies by the gang, they can take down the entire organization on federal racketeering charges.
5: apparently, he's also one who has trained.
1: A few days later, in the early morning hours of September 4th, 1994, police respond to a report of shots fired at an illegal after-hours gambling house. It is owned by Andre Woods, one of the gang's leaders. They interview witnesses and piece together what happened. At 4.30 in the morning, Andre Woods got into an argument with
6: a few of the gamblers. They got out of hand. He didn't like, they disrespected him. Gunned him down, cold blood. Just wiped out, you know, four human lives in in a second. He just kind of walked out. That's just the way he was. Got in his Mercedes Benz and took off.
1: The task force provides Detroit homicide with information on Woods and his car. Homicide detectives used the information to alert law enforcement nationwide in an all-out effort to find the fugitive.
3: Obviously, this caused us to try and speed up our efforts to obtain these wiretaps because we had, had demonstrated to us the propensity for extreme violence. If Woods was willing to commit a quadruple homicide, we felt that they wouldn't be afraid to commit homicides if necessary in the commission of the home invasions.
1: Five days after the quadruple homicide, a judge grants the task force permission to monitor the pagers of several of the gang members. They begin collecting phone numbers and discover a consistent pattern of calls between them. It shows further evidence of the gang's organization. A week later, the unimaginable happens. Fugitive Andre Woods strolls into Detroit police headquarters.
6: He walked in and said, hey, I hear you guys are looking for me.
1: Police believe Woods turned himself in because the manhunt was getting too hot. He thought it would be easier to fight the charges in court. FBI Special Agent Bob Bertuso is glad to have Woods off the streets
5: because he was so violent he was an enforcer for the gang and if woods was still out there was a great potential for more people to get hurt
1: A week after andre Woods surrenders the task force uses the evidence from the pagers to get its first telephone wiretap on the remaining gang leader ob carter
3: we were hoping to be able to identify past home invasions Proceeds of those robbers, and most of all, identify future home invasions so that we could
1: prevent them or catch these individuals in the act. The task force also places Carter under surveillance by a Detroit police crew that includes Officer Steve Miller.
2: The guy was really surveillance conscious, so it was a pretty hard target to follow, but we were able to follow him.
1: The information gathered through surveillance, combined with the evidence from the wiretap, gives investigators further insight into the gang's activities
0: we were able to start to watch their moves start to anticipate as opposed to react anticipate where they were going to strike uh, and, and which members were going to be involved in the next home invasion
1: monitoring phone conversations they learned to recognize gang members voices and code words The gang calls their home invasions,
4: licks. Detroit police officer, Tom Dunai. After we kinda knew that they had just got done with a lick, they all get on the phone and start talking about it and laughing about it and telling how much money they got out of a certain house or how many guns they got out of a certain house. Then they would talk about narcotics that they got out of the house. From these intercepted details of the crimes,
1: Investigators are able to connect the gang to specific home invasions.
4: They weren't very descriptive, but they were descriptive enough where we knew what they were talking about, what they got out of the house. So we were able to match that up with the reports of the the victims stating to us what was taken from the house at the time of the home invasion. But it is still not enough.
3: We didn't know specifically which individuals in that group had committed the home invasions. We still needed more information and we really wanted to catch them
1: in the act of committing a home invasion. One night, a surveillance officer is watching a home where gang members are meeting. Suddenly, an unmarked Detroit police car pulls up. Before surveillance can radio a warning, four plainclothes officers jump out and head in the direction of the gang house. Dispatch tells surveillance that the four are working on another case, looking for a possible fugitive at the house next door. The officer is worried that the violent gang members don't know it. A Detroit Plainclothes Arrest Team approaches a house, unaware that a vicious gang armed with automatic weapons is in the house next door.
5: Yo, 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 fellas, cops!
1: An officer assigned to surveil the gang, watches anxiously, not knowing if the gang will think the officers are coming for them, and open fire. After a few tense moments... The officer is relieved to see no indication of a gang response. Later, the joint FBI police task force investigating the gang monitors a wiretap on a gang leader's home. Detroit Police Detective Sergeant Tom Barry learns the gang did in fact know the arrest team was outside.
6: Apparently they were getting ready to do a home invasion and a police car pulled up. Home invaders don't know why these cops are out there, they thought they were coming after them. On the wire what they said is that those cops would have came in here we would have killed them, just killed them all. That made the hair on our arms stand up.
1: Detroit police officer Tom Dunai is even more determined to get the gang off the
4: streets as soon as possible. We started getting enough evidence on these guys via the wiretap that we decided that before somebody actually gets killed here, we need to, to do something quickly. But investigators need direct evidence of the gang so committing a crime
1: to, to, to ensure go. convictions under federal racketeering statutes. You, uh, Special Agent Bob Pertuso. Okay,
5: they would be in possession of their weapons. Things. They'd be yeah. wearing their bulletproof vests. They'd be in possession of the goods that they stole.
1: To protect innocent bystanders, investigators decide to arrest the gang after they leave a home invasion. Special Agent Martin Vandervliet. We know...
3: They're going to be- we did not want to try and arrest them while they were in the house committing a home invasion and possibly
1: risk a hostage situation. But taking down this brutal gang will be extremely dangerous.
5: They had attempted to kill people, rob people, sexually assaulted women, very violent. In fact, we had developed that information that they had planned to shoot it out with the police when confronted. Very difficult situation.
6: We know they're going to have vests on. We know they're going to have automatic weapons. There was no doubt in our minds that these people, they weren't going to just All throw right. up their hands and give up. They're going to shoot what it are out. you going with me out here for a Because of the large
3: number of individuals who were involved, as well as the weapons that they were carrying, they were heavily armed with AK-47s, Mac-10s, Uzis, all the dangerous weapons out there in the street. We believe that we needed to use a SWAT team to arrest
1: these individuals. Agents meet with the SWAT commander, who lays out the plan. The tactical squad responsible for making the arrests will hide inside an ambulance. With its emergency lights activated, the ambulance will approach the home invader's vehicle from behind as if it were passing. Investigators believe that since the gang will have just committed a home invasion, they will try to remain inconspicuous and pull to the side of the
6: road. And we're going to ram them with the ambulance. The 20 SWAT guys, all dressed in SWAT gear with bulletproof vests, are going to get out and get a half moon around them. So when they start to get out of the car or the van, we've got them contained. We didn't want to get into a chase. That was one of our things we didn't want. Uh, and that's why we decided to ram them, disable their vehicle. Uh, we didn't want a chase.
1: The final component of the plan requires taking down the rest of the organization. We knew from past
3: experience that only certain members of that group would be involved. It wouldn't be the whole group. So we had other police persons ready to make arrests at other locations for whoever was not present during that home invasion as well as to execute six search warrants. We had hundreds of agents and police officers involved in our plans
1: for the takedown of this group. For weeks, the task force works around the clock, monitoring wiretaps, looking for the right opportunity to spring their trap. Then, on November 9th, they hear gang members planning their next home invasion
5: intercepted conversations about a plan to do it in two days, we were at a great tactical advantage. We had our federal search warrant signed. We had the assignments to conduct the searches. And of course, the tactical people were were actually going to handle the arrest.
1: Unfortunately, gang members don't mention where the home invasion will be. We don't know where yet. The next day. Surveillance watches two gang members drive through a neighborhood as though scouting for a potential target. Task Force now believes they know approximately where the home invaders will strike. Police headquarters, November 11th. With the home invasion only hours away, the task force goes over the plan with team leaders one final time.
5: Their intent...
1: To underscore the danger the officers face,
6: they play a tape recording of the gang's threat to kill police. We played that tape for the people who were going to take these people down later on. This is the real deal. We're not playing with these people. These people aren't playing with you. They have no hesitation of killing a police officer. You can just see the officers just intently staring. This is real. These guys are going to kill us.
3: At this point, we had been investigating this group for several months, and it was a relatively long-term investigation. And I think most of us on the task force wanted to conclude it, wanted to get them arrested. So we were pretty excited. I think the adrenaline level was pretty high, and we really were expecting that this was going to be the conclusion Uh, one way or another.
1: We were going to get these people locked up that evening. SWAT gives Officer Steve Miller and the rest of the surveillance teams armor-piercing ammunition for their handguns, in case the takedown becomes a gunfight.
2: We knew these guys wore the same kind of armor we wore, you know, exact same stuff in there. And we knew that they were shooting armor-piercing rounds out of their weapons, so, you know, we had to try to at least be on level par with them.
1: That evening, surveillance observes the home invaders traveling in two cars.
6: They drive to the area they drove the day before. Everybody's tightening up, tightening up. They drive by the house and they leave. Well, they don't do the robbery. So we're thinking, what the heck's going on?
1: FBI Special Agent Martin Vander Fleet follows the gang from a distance.
3: We didn't want to get too close. Because we didn't want to risk these individuals seeing police in the
1: area and possibly aborting their raid. The home invaders enter a dark alley and suddenly cut their headlights. They disappear into the darkness, making it impossible to tell whether they parked or continued through the alley.
6: We're not panicking, but where the heck are they at? Where the heck are they at?
1: Police cannot move in for a closer look without potentially blowing their cover. If the home invaders get away, they will be free to commit another heinous crime. The FBI and Detroit police tail a gang of violent home invaders, hoping to catch them in the act. Authorities are anxious to bring closure to a six-month investigation.
0: Here go. I'll be cool. Yeah, just lay just back cool. here. Just lay
5: back cool. here. Just
1: be cool. But when the home invaders cut their headlights, police lose them. Minutes later, at the operations center, Detroit Detective Sergeant Tom Barry learns from 911 that the gang has struck again.
6: Home invasion just happened. Six guys in mass dressed as police officers. They robbed the wrong house got nothing out of it. We got two victims that are both almost 70 years old, can't identify.
1: Since the home invaders did not steal anything, investigators decide not to make any arrests. There's simply no evidence to tie the gang to the crime.
6: We can't prove our case, so we sit and we wait. Agents
1: and officers scour the area looking for the home invaders. The Detroit police surveillance officer doubles back to the gang's meeting place, thinking they will return there after the invasion. When he arrives, he sees them coming out of the house, dressed in their raid clothes and getting into a van. It appears that the gang is heading out for another robbery. When gang members are dropped off at a house... Miller is right
2: behind them. I ducked into a, a nice little parking space where I could see the front of the house and I could see the van. I adjust my mirrors, you know, get in my surveillance mode.
1: Finally, authorities are in position to actually see the home invaders commit a crime.
6: So the game plan was, they do the robbery, we can't stop it. If we go in, you risk hostages. We don't want hostages. We don't want nobody to get hurt.
1: Suddenly, Officer Miller notices the home invader's van creeping up
2: behind him. My heart starts pounding. You know, I'm like, this guy saw me. I got my weapon in my hand, you know, and just in case anything happens, you know, I'm I got to be ready.
1: the van pulls up to the house
2: these guys came running out just all kind of stuff in their hands and they all jumped into the van
1: with a confirmed invasion the task force puts
6: their arrest plan into motion now we're ready to go now we're going to take them down we turn it over to the SWAT team
1: an ambulance loaded with SWAT personnel Approaches the gang's van and attempts to disable the vehicle by ramming it. But at the last second, the van speeds up and the ambulance cannot make a strong hit. The van, which has more horsepower, easily gets away from the SWAT team. FBI Special Agent Martin Vanderfleet.
3: We obviously had a major problem. We had six highly armed individuals in a
1: van. And we had to stop them. Surveillance teams begin pursuing the van, knowing the chase will likely end in a gun battle. FBI Special Agent Bob Luratuso.
5: Whenever you have armed robbers running from the police, wearing bulletproof vests, armed with automatic weapons, once they broke through the attempts by the police to stop them, there was gonna be a confrontation. Absolutely.
1: Officer Miller and the other pursuit vehicles continue to chase the van through the streets of Detroit. Suddenly, the van's rear doors open, and the gang begins shooting at law enforcement. A SWAT sniper inside one of the chase cars returns fire. At police headquarters, Officer Tom Dunai continues to monitor the
4: chase. It was amazing because of what had happened how controlled the officers were in the street. There wasn't any panic, but people were screaming, shots are being fired. We even heard gunfire over the radio. That's how strong it was. And in my heart, I was scared for the officers at that point. Just stay with them. The chase continues
1: for several miles. Then,
0: inexplicably,
1: the van stops.
2: Four guys bail out the van. They're firing at me, and I jump out of my car, and I fire one shot, I get one shot off with of my 9mm, and it jammed. Natural instinct is just, these guys aren't getting away. Let me chase these guys. SWAT officers order the
1: remaining two home invaders to exit the van. But the van takes off, and the chase continues leaving Miller alone to pursue the heavily armed suspects
2: it was like I could feel the bully going by to this day I can't explain to you why I didn't get shot I say okay police we got you surrounded come up
1: Miller thought other officers were following behind him he suddenly realizes He's all alone.
2: And it's like a ghost town. I mean, nobody there. Even worse, he does not know where his
1: attacker has gone. The FBI, Detroit police, engage in a running gun battle with a violent home invasion gang. Officer Steve Miller narrowly escapes an ambush backup arrives. Miller begins searching for his attacker.
2: We start going up eastbound on Pasadena, just checking, checking. Sure enough, I uh, get about five houses up and uh, this guy is laying face down. So I'm like, you know, okay, get up, you know, get up. And, uh, you know, he, he, he wasn't moving, kind of lifeless, so I greased around the field, you know, to see if I could get a pulse from him. He's dead. He's dead.
1: He's later identified as O.B. Carter, the gang's leader. The subsequent autopsy concludes that Officer Miller's first shot, an armor-piercing round, punctured Carter's bulletproof vest and fatally wounded him. miles away, the police chase comes to an abrupt end when the gang's van breaks down. The two remaining home invaders jump out of the van. One surrenders, but the other will not go down without a fight. FBI agents pursue the fleeing gunman. Searching down a dark alley, Special Agent Bob Pertuso sees a dark shape and carefully approaches.
5: The getaway driver was lying on the ground. He had been uh, shot uh, a number of times.
1: The agents call for an ambulance. The getaway driver is taken to a hospital and against all odds, survives. Following a series of fierce gun battles, the task force assesses the casualties. Okay. Hundreds of shots were fired. Incredibly, no one on the arrest team was hit. Our plan worked.
5: Did not anticipate the high-speed chase and the violent confrontation, but it happened. It was dealt with effectively.
1: But only three of the six gang members involved in the chase have been apprehended. Detroit police officer Tom Dunai tries to locate them.
4: What I had done was call local hospitals to find out if anybody was admitted with, with a gunshot wound. And we called around a few hospitals. We had a hit at one hospital, and they says, oh, yes, somebody just came in with multiple gunshot wounds. At the hospital, Dunai confirms the gunshot victim is one of the fugitives.
1: As the search for the remaining two gang members continues, FBI agents, the FBI SWAT team, and local police serve search warrants on six of the gang members' houses. They find critical evidence, according to FBI Special Agent Martin Vanderfleet. Well, we found a lot of
3: evidence that had been taken from robberies, including specific items of clothing, jewelry, and then we also recovered a great amount of weapons. A lot of the houses would have three to five guns in them, as well as ammunition,
1: uh, vests, pry bars, masks, and other things. At Detroit Police Headquarters, Detective Sergeant Tom Berry questions the captured members of the home invasion gang. He lets them know they are facing long prison terms, and that those who cooperate first may get reduced
6: sentences. Probably 95% of them told us exactly what happened. That's how we were able to identify the rest of the gang, the rest of the peripheral players.
1: Over the following months, the task force systematically arrests gang members. In the end, a total of 29 are convicted and sentenced on federal or state charges in the biggest home invasion prosecution to date.
5: This particular task force, it was the first major task force between the FBI and the Detroit Police Department. We wanted to do a good job for those victims. We made a difference. We really uh, made a difference uh, to the city of Detroit. Uh, We did make it a safer place.
4: Well, it just goes to show you that when, when law enforcement agencies can work together smoothly with the right people, anything can be accomplished. Thanks to the collaborative efforts
1: of the Detroit Police Department and the FBI, the violent home invaders gang is dismantled forever.